So recently, AOC was interviewed by Jen Psaki, and they discussed Tucker Carlson. We have very real issues with um, what is permissible on air, and we saw that with January 6th. Mm -hmm. And we saw that in the lead up to January 6th and how we navigate questions, not just of freedom of speech, but also accountability for incitement of violence. These are this is the line that we have to really explore through law as well. And do you think yeah. media organizations or social media platforms should be accountable for the role for, for being platforms for incitement? I believe that when it comes to broadcast television, like Fox News, these are subject to, to federal law, federal regulation in terms of what's allowed on air and what isn't. And when you look at what Tucker Carlson and some of these other folks on Fox do, it is very, very clearly incitement of violence, very clearly incitement of violence. And that is the line that I think we have to uh, be willing to contend with. Incitement of violence? I wonder who she's talking about. Could it be? And historically, that's what's worked. You have to put your body in the way and you have to make it speak in a language that they understand. And sometimes that is violence. Whoops, there I go playing a clip of CNN talking about, or rather to, Antifa, the thing that supposedly doesn't exist. No, I'm sure that's not what she meant, though. We are going to take to the streets again. There will be riots. There will be fire and there will be bloodshed. What? Black Lives Matter calling for violence? That has to be white supremacists in disguise. She couldn't have been talking about them. Maybe she meant... I dare you to try and stop me from going into a women's bathroom. It will be the last mistake you ever make. I dare you to try and stop a transgender woman in my presence from using the bathroom. It will be the last mistake you ever make. One of the reasons that human beings can't be trusted with the power of censorship is that inevitably it is a power that corrupts. And I, in all joking aside, I honestly asked my audience and I asked other left-leaning people, explain to me how Tucker Carlson has directly called for violence. And they don't really have solid answers. They're always very vague. But the reality is, is that to AOC... She doesn't, she basically wants to believe that people who publicly oppose her opinions are inciting violence. And when she says things like Tucker Carlson is responsible for death threats that she's getting, that might be the behavior of people who occasionally listen to Tucker Carlson, but that's not Tucker Carlson directly calling for violence. This is just a lie. And I want to be clear, I'm not a fan of Fox News. I very rarely ever listen to clips of Tucker Carlson. And even when I do, I always do it through the lens of the fact that this guy's just another stooge of the corporate media. Who knows what'll happen with him now? But the reality is, is that all corporate media is the problem. The thing is, is that she only wants it moderated to ensure that only the you know, only her view is heard. And we're going to get into that a little bit more in a second. Ironically, the very next day, Tucker Carlson was fired from Fox. Let's listen to her reaction. Tucker Carlson is out at Fox News. Couldn't have happened to a better guy. Um, what I will say, though, is while I'm very glad that the person that is arguably responsible for the 
some of the largest driving some of the most uh, amounts of death threats and violent threats, not just to my office, but to plenty of people across the country. Bringing on guests that you disagree with or exposing when you guys do something hypocritical is not death threats, nor is it encouraging other people to issue you death threats. If by listening to Tucker Carlson, somebody gets angry enough to threaten your life, they've got their own issues. If this is the suggestion that we're going to make, I could definitely suggest several MSNBC clips of the same sort of thing. But, I mean, just to be clear so that we know the difference, that arguing with you or exposing when you do something stupid is not the same thing as death threats. This is a death threat. I dare you to try and stop me from going into a women's bathroom. It will be the last mistake you ever make. I dare you to try and stop a transgender woman in my presence from using the bathroom. It will be the last mistake you ever make. And this is what incitement to violence sounds like. We are going to take to the streets again. There will be riots, there will be fire, and there will be bloodshed. Again, I have yet to in any way be exposed to any evidence of Tucker Carlson promoting violence, suggesting violence, suggesting that anybody threaten AOC's life, etc. I've never seen it, and I've never heard of it, and nor can I get anybody to produce any examples of it. But what they want that to mean in the whole 1984 newspeak is that if you publicly share opinions that are in contradiction to ours, you are inciting violence. That's why they want certain words to be violence so that they can have the excuse to engage in censorship. But deplatforming works, and it is important. And um, there you go. Good things can happen. The guys that you see in this meme were engaged in an awful lot of deplatforming. In the end, it didn't work. Deplatforming doesn't actually work. It didn't work for the Nazis. It didn't work for the Soviet Union. You need to be able to engage and explain and basically break down and decipher why an ideology is wrong. You have to. If you can't do this, in the end, you will fail. Deplatforming doesn't work. And if you feel that the only way that you can win the argument is by preventing people from even hearing the opposing viewpoint, your argument must not be very strong. The consequence of all of this is that now the left as a whole is being labeled as pro-censorship, and you're being told that in order to be on the left, you also have to be pro-censorship. And that's just bullshit. It's never been part of progressive policy. It's also never been good for the left. As I have pointed out multiple times in my videos, the only reason there is a left is because of the fact that the right wing could not deplatform the left wing. And they wanted to at one time. That was J. Edgar Hoover, that was McCarthyism, when they literally had congressional panels to try to determine if somebody even whiffed of communism, and then they would have those people canceled, get them fired from jobs, etc. Just because you think you're going to get to hold the censorship pen does not mean that censorship itself is okay. And I want to be clear, there are people who've been doing this a lot longer than AOC that already know that. One of them happens to be Bernie Sanders. 
Bernie Sanders against Donald Trump Twitter ban. Tomorrow, it could be somebody else. But if you're asking me, do I feel particularly comfortable that then-President of the United States could not express his views on Twitter? Sanders, an independent, continued, I don't feel comfortable about that. Further, he said, I don't like giving that much power to a handful of high-tech people. How do you balance that? I don't know. But it is an issue that we have got to be thinking about, because yesterday it was Donald Trump who was banned, and tomorrow it could be somebody else who has a very different point of view. That's right, folks. Bernie Sanders did not support Twitter banning Donald Trump. Here's another video from back in 2005, where Bernie Sanders rose against a bill that would have pretty much did exactly what AOC wanted, but probably not in the direction she was thinking. But it had to do with the idea of what she suggested, which was that somehow it's the government's job to determine what is and is not allowed on television. Gentleman from Vermont is recognized for three minutes. I thank the gentlelady for yielding. Mr. Speaker, I rise in opposition to the rule and opposition to the underlying legislation. As someone who voted in favor of similar legislation last year, I am increasingly alarmed by the culture of censorship that seems to be developing in this country, and I will not be voting for this bill today. This censorship is being done by the corporate owners of our increasingly consolidated, less diverse media, but it is also significantly being done by the government, and that's what this bill is about today. One of the interesting things that happened when the Trump ban was going on was that there were people that were suggesting, well, it's okay if private entities engage in censorship. They surprisingly changed their tone all of a sudden when Elon Musk, someone who would not censor Twitter the way they wanted, bought it. But as you saw right there, that's Bernie Sanders calling out that it's not okay if corporations engage in censorship, and it's also not okay if the government engages in censorship. Let's move on. What we are seeing is an increasing and insidious chill on free expression in the airwaves. There are a lot of people in Congress on that side of the aisle, my conservative friends, who talk about freedom and freedom and freedom, but apparently they really do not believe that the American people should have the freedom to make the choices themselves about what programs they see on television or on the radio. There are a lot of people in Congress, including conservatives, who talk about the intrusive role of government regulators. But today they want government regulators to tell radio and TV stations what they can air. I disagree with that. A vote for this bill today will make America a less free society. Mr. Speaker, I am not a conservative. I am a proud progressive. But on this issue, I agree with some important conservative thinkers. Let me tell you what Mr. Adam D. Thier, the director of telecommunication studies at the Cato Institute, extremely conservative think tank says, and I quote, and he's got it right. This is Bernie Sanders who just said he's a proud progressive, making it clear that he's about to quote the conservative think tank, the Cato Institute. Because being pro-censorship has never been a progressive position. Quote, those of us, those of us who are parents understand that raising a child in today's modern media marketplace is a daunting task at times, but that should not serve as an excuse 
for inviting Uncle Sam in to play the role of surrogate parent for us and the rest of the public without children. Even if lawmakers have the best interest of children in mind, I take great offense at the notion that government officials must do this job for me and every other American family. Censorship on an individual parental level is a fundamental part of being a good parent. Now, ironically, we have Bernie Sanders, the proud progressive, pointing out that you as a parent should have the right to engage in censorship when raising your child and making decisions about what, you know, your child should and should not see. But censorship at a government level is an entirely different matter because it means a small handful of individuals get to decide what the whole nation is permitted to see, hear, or think. End of quote. That is, and that should be, the conservative position. That should be the position of people who say, get the government off our backs. We don't want government regulations. Mr. Speaker, increasingly in this country, we are seeing censorship on the airwaves. In January of 2004, CBS refused to air a political advertisement during the Super Bowl by MoveOn.org, and on and on it goes. Let's vote no. Let's vote yes against this. Let's vote against this bill. Let's support freedom. So this goes back to what I was saying originally. He recognizes that censorship should not be allowed on a government level or on a corporate level. And the reason why is that everybody has the right to give their viewpoint. The problem is, is that we are now trying to label uh, just disagreeing with us as something that is hate speech or is inciting violence. We have this weird way of changing the meanings of words to go about, you know, making it unacceptable to say certain things. And as I've mentioned many times, George Orwell was a socialist who wrote 1984 and Animal Farm as cautionary tales to other socialists. As in, this is not okay. Do not engage in this. If you see this happening, this is dangerous. Do not allow it to happen. Okay, they don't ever take that message from it. And in fact, ironically, conservatives are they usually the ones quoting it. But the left needs to recognize that this idea of free speech is for everybody. And you can't just give in to the temptation to simply put the mute button on any argument that opposes yours and then declare victory. They, they really believe that the only way that they can win is if they just prevent the other point of view from even being presented. Like, what do you think is going to happen exactly? You're going to do all of that, and then everybody's just going to magically become progressive? If we just don't have the argument, everybody's just going to magically come around to Medicare for all, uh, free college, and all of that? No, it isn't. it's never going to happen. That's not how that works. You have to actually convince people of the validity of your argument. That's how you make change. That's how you change a society. You don't change society by simply, you know, limiting what that society is allowed to be is allowed to be told or, you know, what is allowed to be suggested to them. Because the reality is, as, as I pointed out, it didn't work for the Nazis. It didn't work for the Soviet Union. It is immoral. And people were killed over it. That's that's a form of censorship, actually. Ironically, I just got into an argument with Martin Luther King's daughter on this very topic you know, because he was killed. That was a form of censorship. They were trying to get rid of him. And I honestly think what pushed them over the edge was when he started speaking out about the Vietnam War. 
But bringing it back to the main point here, censorship is not okay, no matter who does it. Now, the only exception that I can think of is I should have a right to say, if I don't want you to say that in my living room, my personal space, then yeah, obviously I shouldn't be subjected to that. If you're on the internet, that means that I have the right to block you personally. There's nothing wrong with that. If I don't want your crap in my feed, then I block you. The problem is, is that they're not satisfied with that. They don't want to just be able to, you know, basically to prevent them from seeing what you're saying. They don't want anyone else to see what you're saying. And that's where we run into a point where it just becomes brainwashing. It just becomes about, you know, total authoritarian control. And that's not how you get people to think better. Another quick note that I would like to point out is that when they repeatedly say Republicans want to ban books and then they leave out the context, the context that they're leaving out is one, what is in the books. And I've been over that on my show multiple times. They, they tend to leave out the context of what specifically it is that's in the books, like, you know, graphic uh, depictions of blowjobs and such. But the other thing that they tend to leave out is that Republicans are not trying to ban these books from existing. If you want to go out and buy a copy of Genderqueer for your own child, nobody is, in the, at least that I've ever seen, in the Republican or conservative movement trying to prevent that. It's not like they're trying to make these books illegal to sell. The issue is, is that they shouldn't be subject to public schools. They shouldn't be in public schools where just any child can just pick it up because that's removing the choice that Bernie Sanders was just saying is important. So I just wanted to clear that up because they're not the same thing. Nobody's suggesting that genderqueer should be deleted and, you know, become like the books to be burned in Fahrenheit, you know, the, the movie about them burning books. Um, nobody's suggesting that. That's a total straw man. Well, some people would question her progressive card because of the fact that she and Bernie kind of went at it in the last uh, election. I would still like to play a clip here of Elizabeth Warren, who is known to be a progressive for many years, um, having this same conversation when it comes to free speech on campuses. Uh, thank you, Senator Hassan. Senator Warren. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for holding this hearing today, uh, you and Ranking Member Murray. I appreciate your doing this. Um, I think we all agree that uh, free speech is not some kind of left versus right issue. Uh yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's never been a right versus left issue. Everybody's supposed to believe in free speech. Uh, it doesn't work that way. So I want to see if I can ask a question from a little bit different perspective. Mr. Cohen, you run the Southern Poverty Law Center, which tracks American hate groups and extremists. And one of those extremists is Charles Murray. We've talked a little about him this morning. Uh, you know, a man who wears a fancy suit and peddles uh, racist junk science about how white men are, biologically speaking, intellectually superior to everyone else. Am I correct that you vehemently disagree with his views? Completely, Senator. Good, me too. Um, and as someone who worked as an academic researcher for decades, I think that spouting fake science is extremely corrosive to public policy and should be called out in public at every possible opportunity. So, we got that much. Let's go to the next part. Mr. Cohen, do you believe that powerful institutions of higher learning 
should ban people like Charles Murray from speaking in public if those institutions or their students or you or I don't like what those speakers have to say? Just as simply, absolutely not, Senator. And why not? Well, look, we make progress as a country uh, by having uh, ideas tested, by having uh, critical thought uh, applied to uh, um, ideas that are expressed in every realm of life. The Supreme Court has recognized the importance of uh, robust debate. It's a bedrock principle of our country, and we would be much worse off if university presidents, students, or anyone could censor the speech of others simply because they disagree. You know, I agree with you, and in fact, I think it's dangerous to suppress speech. First, Right. It's dangerous to suppress speech. Elizabeth just went on and described some beliefs that she definitely vehemently disagrees with, just outright racist stuff, and still doesn't believe that, she, that it should be censored. The head of the Southern Poverty Law Center at the time made it very clear that he doesn't agree with it either. Let's move on. Suppression can backfire instead of shutting up individuals with disgusting views. It becomes a launching pad to national attention. Bigots and white supremacists can make themselves out to be uh, First Amendment martyrs Absolutely. and grow their audiences. And second, suppression suggests weakness. It makes us sound afraid, like we're afraid that we can't defeat evil ideas with good ideas. And I just don't believe that's true. I believe in free speech, but let's be clear. Free speech doesn't mean the speaker is entitled to an audience. Um, free speech is not about shutting up or remaining silent while someone demeans women or demeans people of color or anybody else. Students can critique, they can make their voices heard, and they can be very powerful when they do. Free speech means more speech. So, Professor Stanger, you moderated an event with Mr. Murray at Middlebury College where you teach. You were physically attacked. Would you agree with me that acts of violence are not protected by the First Amendment? I absolutely would, would agree with you, Senator Warren, on that point, but I would disagree with you respectfully on your characterization of Charles Murray's work, and maybe I might say a little bit about the Middlebury context, which would illuminate some things for us here today. Charles Murray was invited by a student group to speak on campus, and then the political science department co-sponsored the talk. We did so because we're almost all Democrats, and we thought it was important for our students to engage with views that are influential in the Republican Party. What proceeded to happen was that another department on Middlebury's campus, sociology and anthropology, sought to censor the political science department. Now, in my view, this is solved very simply by a Treaty of Westphalia be between departments. <laughs> I mean, let's let, if I, one department thinks- Now, it's important before she gets into this that you recognize that what happened is the political science department of a university felt it was important that people hear the opposing viewpoint. Then the sociology department fought to try to get them censored, which if you've listened to my talk with Dr. Turner, who was a very, you know, published and famous sociologist, sociology has been, is not a science anymore. It's been taken over by activism. Let's continue. You know, it, worth let me just say, Dr. Stanger, I appreciate this, but in a limited amount of time, yeah. getting into 
interdepartmental rivalries <laughs> from the academic world. Sure, but let me just... I would actually prefer to spend our time on the Middle East because it will be easier to solve. <laughs> I, this is true, this is true, but just may, may I make one po more point there that's important. I think this is important. I'll give you... Uh, Please. I'll give you time, uh, Senator Warren. Is that Senator okay? Warren, It'll take I, 10 Senator seconds. Senator Warren ran for the Senate in order to escape interdepartmental rivalries. <laughs> I understand I, that sentiment wanted, completely, Senator Warren. I wanted Warren. to come to a place that was more collegial. That's right, so, so you should have time yeah. to... Senator Warren, I'll give yes. you some extra time to finish your discussion. The point I just wanted to add that's relevant to this is that no faculty member, to my view, would ever agree for their department to co-sponsor a talk by Richard Spencer. So we're really talking about apples and oranges here, and there's a public-private distinction here that needs to be made. At these public uh, universities, I think we're seeing these provocateurs seeking to set up talks that don't really have faculty sponsorship. So let the faculty lead, and I think we'll go in the right direction. So uh, it, let, me, let me just see if I can pull this back, though, to the point about what happens with free speech, whether it gets any special protection. Uh, and the notion that I just want to underline here is that the people who attacked you get no special protection. Neither does the Charlottesville white supremacist who murdered a woman there or the three white supremacists who tried to shoot people at the University of Florida last week, they will go to jail. Free speech is not about violence. It is not about silence. What I'm concerned about is that right now it is all too easy for all of us to avoid hearing anything that we don't already agree with. And that is an enormous threat to our democracy. I know that powerful people want us divided, that foreign governments are pouring gasoline on that fire, flooding Facebook and Twitter with angry messages designed to stir up lingering resentments. The President of the United States is pouring even more gasoline on that fire, attacking our free press as a, quote, enemy of the people. And Which is what AOC just did, for the record even threatening to use the awesome power of the government to shut down press outlets for reporting that he doesn't agree with. Like Tucker Carlson. And I don't care what your politics are. All of us who believe in America and its freedoms need to work harder to put out that fire. And we start by making sure that powerful institutions and individuals don't shut down speech they don't like. And that includes universities, and it definitely includes the President of the United States. Including Joe Biden. <laughs> but anyway, so again, it's not some crazy right-wing idea that we should be open to hearing the viewpoints of people we don't agree with. And she's pointing out, very justifiably so, that it's becoming way too easy for us to never hear the point of view that we don't agree with. And that we can't just, you know, shut down speech that we don't like. So, ironically, something that AOC had said before we got to the part about the Dominion lawsuit and all that was this. These are our civil rights and our civil liberties, and we have to resist. We must resist these attempts to roll back the basic human rights. Now, to be fair to her, in that particular clip, she was actually only referring to the civil rights concerns of the woke movement. But free speech is a basic human right, period. Non-negotiable. And it's interesting to me that 
the left has lost that, at least as far as her generation of them are concerned. Now, it's entirely possible that politicians can change their mind and that it'll become the new perspective, you know, that they're suddenly pro-censorship, and that's kind of the direction that things are headed for a lot of people. But the moment that happens, I will become your enemy. I will become your opponent. Because I'm not okay with it. I've had successful debates with people I don't agree with. I do it on a regular basis. We do it on our Discord all the time. And what comes of it is can be actually friendship and camaraderie. Maybe that's really what they're concerned about. They, they don't want us, you know, as Elizabeth Warren pointed out earlier, there are people who want us divided. I would say that's definitely true. And there are still people occasionally who ask me how I can take the points of view that I do while still using the V moniker. You know, it says here, for example, there are of course those who do not want us to speak. I suspect even now orders are being shouted into telephones and men with guns will soon be on their way. Why? Because while the truncheon may be used in lieu of conversation, words will always retain their power. Words offer the means to meaning, and for those of us who will listen, the enunciation of truth. And the truth is, there is something terribly wrong with this country, isn't there? Cruelty and injustice, intolerance and oppression, and where once you had the freedom to object, to think and speak as you saw fit, you now have censors and systems of surveillance coercing your conformity and soliciting your submission. This is just, it's a basic principle of freedom. Period. And you don't get to take it. And you don't win the argument by just preventing the other side from being allowed to talk. It doesn't work. It's not just that it's immoral. It doesn't work. Now, I've done multiple videos on censorship, and I will put them in the cards at the end of this video. You're probably looking at them right now. But there's also a BitChute exclusive version of my Do You Think For Yourself series. Because, ironically, YouTube censored my video about censorship. And I do suggest you check it out. I will put a link to the BitChute video in the description of this one. Thanks again for tuning in. And a quick reminder, folks, the only way to protect you from my content being censored from you is to go to hy.page vradio, and there you can find me on all my various mediums, including YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute. Um, I'm on podcast format for many of my broadcasts. Um, you can join my Facebook group. You can check me out on Twitter. If you want to, you can support me on Patreon, PayPal, and Subscribestar. Um, you can also join my Telegram and my Discord, which I strongly suggest you guys check out. Um, I did recently create a Kick account, and I'm also on TikTok, though not very often. But it's really the only way to be sure you're actually going to get my stuff. And after they, re you know, deleted uh, Neo Unrealist's channel, you know, by the way, he's over on Rumble. Um, I definitely kind of see that it's just a matter of time. I actually think, ironically. As my channel gets bigger, this is going to become more and more of a threat. And my channel actually hasn't been getting bigger. I've got this weird thing going on where I've been stuck at like 4,800 or 900 subscribers. And then every time I gain some, the algorithm kicks some off. So I've had all kinds of strange stuff go on with my channel, including discussing an issue for about six seconds of a six to seven hour stream. And then getting a huge strike on my channel and my whole stream deleted. Um, you can actually learn more about that by going to my BitChute or my Rumble channel because I talk about it over there. 
But really, the only way to avoid censorship is for you to join, you know, to join us on one of these other mediums. Even if you don't want to talk on my Discord, I share all of my links on Discord. I also share all of them on my Facebook group. I share all of them on my Telegram group. And it's really the only way because you're not always going to be notified when I'm putting out new content. And if for some reason my YouTube channel does get deleted, then you'll have my other mediums because I'm not going to stop. Um, this is one of the ways I keep myself sane as I sit here as a disabled individual, mostly stuck in my house. Um, I used to be able to go out to protests and, you know, videotape stuff like that and interview people in the street that was taken from me now that I have a spinal injury. So this is how I connect with the world in a meaningful way. So thanks again for tuning in folks. And I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope that you'll check out more of my content. If you're new here, take care.